Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. I love, uh, love that throwback to a classic worship tune that maybe some of you grew up singing, I've Got a River of Life. We kind of did it a little, I've Got a River of Life. It was pretty good. Uh, so it was nice kind of seeing that resurface in a modern song. Love that. Um, today I want, to, uh, I want to speak to you about a subject, probably your favorite subject. This is just a guess. Um, it's something that we all love immensely. Can you, can you throw that slide up on the screen for me? <laughs> That was a trick. Most of us don't love change. Now, I'm, I'm guessing if we had a show of hands, some of you are like, oh, I like change. And uh, some of us, we like change. We like new things. We like moving forward. But change is, is hard, isn't it? Change often requires something of us. Change uh, means that we have to do some things differently. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we're about to experience a changing of the seasons. And unfortunately, summer, hopefully it's been a great summer for you. It's been beautiful weather, hot weather, uh, great opportunities to get out in the sun and be in the water. Uh, But the season will change, and school, school is coming. It's it's coming. There's this change of the seasons, and I don't know about you guys, but in our household, there's this nervousness going on in our home where uh, some of our kids are really excited about getting back to school and routine and friends, and others are like, no, can we just have more summer? Can we just let this go? But, but here's what I do know. Everyone in our home is trying to squeeze every last drop of summer out of summer before the seasons change. And of course, uh, the fall season and back to school and all that brings a lot of great things as well, but it is a change. And one of the things I've noticed about life is that everything keeps changing. And this, uh, this past week, we were pulling out memory boxes from the basement and from the garage, and we were looking through some of our old things that the kids had put away, that my wife and I put away. And it was just amazing to reminisce and to think, oh my goodness, how much has changed in a decade? So much has changed. Technology has changed. The way people communicate has changed. The, the world around us is changing. Everything keeps changing. And here's the bottom line. Things that are growing change. Inanimate objects like rocks They will be the same 100 years from now. You just set that rock down. It'll just sit there collecting dust. It will not change, but growing things change. um, As I think about this, I'm thinking about how you and I must change and how really as we enter into this journey called faith or this journey called Christianity, what it means to follow Jesus, it's going to require significant change over time. We will not be, hopefully, the same 10 years from now that we are today. There's a process of change. There's a process of growth that we're invited into as Christians. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about um, how growing things change, and I want to talk about the significant challenges that are there as things change. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to show a video message. And uh, this particular video message happens to be one of my favorite communicators, it's not Andy Stanley. It's actually, it's a video of me, okay? Um, it's, it's not really my favorite communicator. But um, well, what I wanted to do is, is I wanted to share with you a message that I, sh- uh, that I spoke and shared here on this stage seven years ago. And uh, we were actually celebrating on this occasion our one-year anniversary as a church. And to give you some context, at the time our church, uh, there was a curtain that went from that corner, and the whole church was kind of over in that little third of the gym. 
And we opened up the gym kind of like this, and there were a lot of chairs and about 60 or 70 people. And it felt, this, it felt like this massive shift. And for the first year, we were a very small community of people. Everyone knew everyone, knew each other's kids. And as the community began to grow, there was this growing sense that, oh, this is getting bigger than any one little group, and, and I don't know everyone else. And, and I was casting vision at the time to say, look, our church is, is growing. This is amazing, but we need to keep changing. And it's so cool to look back at what God has done, and we're going to talk about that this morning, but it is so significant that we continue to look forward to what he will continue to do, that we don't get, that we don't get stuck. And, and my guess is that most of us, if we're not careful, we get stuck. This uh, past weekend, we were headed down to Niagara for the Peach Festival, something we do with our kids each year. And uh, we're driving down the highway, we're stuck in traffic, everyone's getting bored. And I turn around and I see my, my teenage son, Noah, and he's, he's grooving to something in his ear pods, you know, his earbuds. And he's sitting there and he's like, <clears throat> and he's kind of see him moving. I'm like, oh, please do share with the rest of our van. And so we streamed it to the, to the stereo in the van and we're listening to this rap, latest rap song, you know. I was thankful it was very clean and so that was exciting. And so we're listening to this rap song and we're all kind of going, okay, okay. And then I turned to my wife, I was over and I was like, we need to share with Noah what was cool when we were 15 and 16. And so she started looking through her phone for the hits of 1992, 93, and I'm telling you, it was a good time for us, for us, <laughs> until Achy Breaky Heart came on. I'm like, shut that down, no, no. So we're listening to these old tunes that we used to hear that were part of our summers when we were teenagers, and, and, and Jessica and I are in the front seat of the van just like, yes, ah, we're singing along, and I turn around and my son's just like, not cool, not cool. It's amazing how we can get stuck. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, this is the best generation, the best time. These were the best moments. And there's this tendency inside of us to want to stay where we are and not keep moving ahead. So that's, that's what I want to address this morning. And uh, just a, a little preamble. The video that you're about to see is very low resolution. It is not your eyes that are blurry. It is a low-quality video. Uh, in the first year of our church, our tech was not the greatest. And uh, so, but I think, I think you'll be able to see... Um, the significance of what's going on. And uh, what was so interesting to me as I watched this video in preparation for today was just how much what I was saying then about our church is so true right now. And we are, as a church, continuing to grow. This is summer months and attendance is down, but in just a, a month or so, we're going to really be feeling a squeeze, and that's amazing. And we're so grateful for new people coming and joining our community. We're grateful for growth and transition. And, uh, and we're looking to the future and going, what's next for us as a church? And uh, we don't have all the answers, but I've been working on a plan. So through the summer, I've been meeting with leadership and elders and, and getting outside help to work on a plan for how we'll move forward. And that plan is beginning to, 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 to kind of roll out as we talk with small groups of people. We're getting feedback, and then it's going to keep widening over the next month or two. So you'll be hearing lots about the plan. You'll be hearing lots about what's coming down the road. But I want you to, to remember today that um, we don't, as great as the past was, we want to keep looking forward to what God is yet to do. Check out this video. It's our anniversary, which is pretty amazing. I am absolutely amazed that a year has gone by so quickly. God has been good to us. I'm still standing here somehow, and we're all still friends, I think. <laughs> At least I think. Um, so things have gone pretty well. Uh, God's been so good to us. As I've been, um, as I've been thinking about um, this past year, where we've been as a church and how we've grown, new relationships have been formed, um, lots of great things have been going on. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been praying and thinking and, and just asking myself the question, what has God been doing at Pathway Church in the last year? And the sense that I get is that in the past year, God has been 
or we have as a church been just turning up soil. You know how a farmer goes out and prepares his field and he puts the plow in and he's going along and he's turning over the soil, preparing it, letting the air, letting it breathe, letting water get in there. And then he goes and he begins to sow his seed, looking forward to a great harvest. And the sense that I got as I thought about where we've been in the last year, I just got the overwhelming sense that we've just been preparing the soil. God has been preparing hearts. He's been bringing relationships together, people into place, systems as a church into place, preparing for what God is going to do in the future. Because I don't believe that we've seen anything yet. I really believe that God is wanting to do some amazing things through this church, through this community of people. I'm just so excited. I look forward to the future. And so again, as the, as the founding pastor, you know, I have all kinds of dreams in my heart about what this community could do in our city. I have dreams in my heart and, and I even have plans, believe it or not, I have plans for every one of you. I'm going to put you all to work. It's exciting. You know, I have plans and I have dreams because I, I see what God can do But you know, in reality, I really don't know the specifics of what God's going to do tomorrow, much less a month from now, a year from now. You know, people always, as people, we always want to know the specifics. What does God want me to do right now in this moment? Isn't that, we always, it's like, God, where do I go to college? God, who do I marry? God, should I have children? Am I nuts? You know, God, you know, should I be part of this church? Should I be there? What, what should I be doing with my life? And we ask God constantly, God, would you please specifically, you know, grab my face and put it in the right direction? But God doesn't always answer us that way, does he? And as a church, I look ahead and I go, you know what? The sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. But I don't know. I don't know exactly what God's going to do next month. I don't know what God's going to do in your life next month. And I gather you probably don't either. You wouldn't be here listening to me. You'd be off doing it. But God has, has a will and a desire for us. And I'll tell you what it is. I want to read to you a passage of scripture. I don't have a slide for it, so because I kind of added this at the last minute. But I want to read it to you because this kind of gives us the direction of where God is trying to take us as individuals and us as a church. This is his plan. And this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, he gives them this instruction that they should put off their old self. Their old way of thinking, their old way of living, their old way of doing things. He says, I want you to put it off because it belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. We've been talking about this a lot in the last two, three months. You know, inside of us there is evil. Inside of us there's all this darkness, selfishness, pride, ambition. And God is trying to get it out of us. And he says, I want you to put off your old self. And this is, what, this is where God wants to take us. And he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In other words, God wants to change the way that we think. He wants to change our actions. He wants to change our emotions, our behaviors. He wants to change everything and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, God has a plan for you. I don't know what school you're supposed to go to. I don't know who you're going to marry. I don't know what job you're going to take. But I do know that God has a plan to take you from where you are. And he has a plan for you to get rid of all that old junk, all that baggage that came with your former life. And he wants to move you towards the righteousness and holiness of God. That's his plan for your life. You say, well, I don't care about that. I want to know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. This is the stuff that God wants us working on. Because God has a plan to take us from where we are, the person that we are, to the person that we are to become. I think of it like this. As as a parent, when I have a kid in my home, when that kid is born, I do everything for that kid. I change their bum, feed them. Actually, I don't do either of those things. Actually, correction. My wife does most of that stuff. But I mean, I protect them and I provide for them. You know, oh, very manly. You know, that's my job. I'm the dad, you know. Good dad. Hope. And, and I got this kid. And, but what I notice is that when they're little, we do everything. 
Like, this kid isn't contributing a thing. Lazy, good for nothing, you know. The kid's not doing a thing. We do everything for the kid because that's where they start. But as that child grows, so what's the end goal? The end goal is that we want that child to become a mature, productive adult who's going to contribute in society. That essentially when they get old enough, they will be like their parents. But you know that between us doing everything for them and them being a productive member of society, there's a lot of training. There's a lot of junk you have to get out. They have to learn that when they're mad and somebody steals a cookie that they can't scream at the top of their lungs. They have to learn that. Because if you have a 17-year-old kid screaming over a cookie, you've got problems, okay? Don't come to me for counseling because I don't know. I don't have the answer to that one. There's a process by which we, we lay off the old self and we begin to take on the new life that is found in Christ. And again, over the last two, three weeks, we've been talking about this in depth. That God's plan is that he comes and he puts a new heart in us. He puts new life. He puts his spirit in us. He changes us from the inside. But just because he does that does not mean that we're not tempted to sin. It doesn't mean that our old habits are just gone. Oh, wow. You know, I no longer want a cigarette. I no longer want to watch that movie. I mean, all of those things, they just, they stay. And the process is that we begin to change the way that we think, we begin to change our behaviors and we begin to line it up with God's spirit and what he's doing on the inside of us. This is the process of growth. And God wants to take us and he wants us to become just like him. He wants us to be holy and righteous, full of love, full of mercy, full of grace, kindness, patience. Those are the things he wants to develop in us. I don't know what he wants for you tomorrow, but I do know that this is what he wants for us as individuals and for us as a church. And here's the thing. One thing I've noticed is that as something grows, it has to change. It has to change. When my wife and I were just the two of us, it was like, hey. And then all of a sudden, we had a kid. And our family grew by 50% when that first kid came in the door. And you know what? Things had to change. Things changed drastically. And then we had a second child. And things had to change again. And then we had a third child. The family is growing and growing and growing. And when this third child comes along, big changes. We had to buy a minivan. I'm still sore about that. We bought a minivan. So we've got three kids now. And then the fourth comes along. And every time the family grows, more changes. And I'm willing to bet that when number five comes along, more changes. By God's grace, I'll never experience it. I can just talk to other people who've been there. God help me. Because you know what? When things grow, they have to change. When a business begins to grow and and sales are up, guess what? Things have to change. You can't have one person running every department anymore. You have to begin to create systems. You have to begin to put things in order. And you know what? It's the same thing in your life, and it's the same thing as a church. This church, if it's going to grow in influence, if it's going to grow in numbers, it has to change. And that means that it won't be like it used to be. And there's a danger in looking back and going, oh... I remember when Pathway was 20 people and we could all go to somebody's house and have a barbecue and the kids played together and we knew everybody and we knew everything was going on and now I go to church and I see people and I don't even know their names. I can't keep up. Yeah, that's okay because change and growth go hand in hand. And when we're not willing to change, we stop the growth. This morning I want to to look, this isn't really a sermon, this is more of an encouragement. Believe me, it's going to get encouraging somewhere along the line. I want to look at the story of the Exodus, okay? I'll kind of give you the broad perspective. This small tribe led by Jacob, also known as Israel, he moves his family to Egypt, and there's a whole story there we can't get into. So they move their family, this small tribe, into Egypt, and they're living in the land of Goshen. It's kind of off to the side. 
And over 430 years, this small tribe becomes a great nation. The Bible tells us that over 600,000 men left Egypt in the Exodus, not including women and children. So we're probably safe to say 2 million people. I'm going to use that number. So you have approximately 2 million people, the nation of Israel, God's people living in Egypt. And the Egyptians, somewhere along the line, looked at it and went, this isn't good. They're starting to outnumber us. And so they, they made them their slaves. They took their money. They took their freedom. They put them to work. They worked them to the bone. They whipped them. In fact, around the story of Moses, if you ever read about Moses, they put him in the basket and sent him down the river. The reason why they did that was because the Egyptian people went, there's too many. We got to slow this thing down. How do we slow it down? Send out the army and kill the, kill the babies. And so they went out and slaughtered their children. Now think about this situation. The people of God cry out to God. They're like, God, we cannot live in this bondage anymore. You've got to save us. And they're crying out to God for years. And what does God do? He answers them and he sends them Moses. And so Moses turns up on the scene. And I can't tell you all the story. If you, you can go to the video store and you can get a double VHS cassette tape starring Charlton Heston in Technicolor. Okay? And you can watch the whole miraculous thing happen on screen. It's pretty cool. It's not all Bible, by the way, but it's a pretty good movie nonetheless. But you can watch that story. But essentially what happens is Moses leads the people out of Egypt. And here's the key. The people of Israel did nothing. They literally sat there and waited while God sent all the plagues, while God sent Moses to the Pharaoh. And finally, the Bible tells us that when they left, they basically turned to their Egyptian masters and said, hey, can I take that gold? And they were like, they wanted them gone so bad, they're like, take the gold. Hey, can I have that food on the counter? Yeah, take the food. Hey, can I have that horse? Yeah, take the horse. And literally, they left Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. They come walking out of there not having to lift a finger, not having to fight one fight, and they're carrying all the gold, and they're carrying animals and food, and they're like, God is amazing. This is awesome. And they're leaving Egypt like that. The book of Psalms tells us that when they left, there was not one feeble among them. Think about that. Not one, two million people. Do you know how many wheelchairs you need to move two million people across the desert? Not one feeble among them. Grandma Rita, 95 years old, she jumps out of her old chair and she's like, my legs work, let's go. And she's dancing her way out of Egypt. Can you not see that the people are looking around going, wow, God is amazing, he's powerful, and he is at work here. This is awesome. And so they leave, and on the way out, God leads them. They don't know where they're going, so God sends a cloud by day, fire by night. Like, can you not see maybe God's at work here? I mean, this should have been pretty obvious, right? And so God leads them out towards the Red Sea. When they get there, the Egyptians change their mind, and they get their army together, and they start chasing them. This is the first sign of trouble for the nation of Israel. And they get there, and you think they would be like, look what God has done. He's so powerful. When the Egyptian army shows up, they literally turned to Moses, and they were like, why did you take us out here to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that we just bring us out here to be slaughtered? We should go back. We should go back and be their slaves again. The very people that cried out to God to deliver them, the first sign of trouble, wanted to turn and go back. And this is the story. It happens over and over and over again. God delivers them, wipes out the Egyptians. And what's God's plan for the nation of Israel? It was simply this. God saves them. He does everything. Baby stage. Okay? And then he takes them into the wilderness. And in the wilderness... He begins to let them go through some difficulty. He wants them to grow. He wants them to learn to trust him so that when they get to the, to the promised land, the land that God had promised them, that when they got there, that they would be like, our God is behind us. And even if we can't see him anymore, and even if we can't feel him anymore, and even if Grandma Rita's in a wheelchair now, we know that God is with us and we're going in to take the land. 
because our God is greater, just like we just sang. That was God's plan for the nation of Israel. And that's the same plan that God has for your life, for my life, and for this church. See, when it all starts out, when you, when you become a Christian and God comes in and changes your heart, you're just like, wow, this is amazing. And God just moves in your life. He does everything. But somewhere along the line, he wants us to grow up. He wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to become like him. He wants to teach us patience. He wants to teach us integrity. So he puts us in situations where we're going to have to actually do something. And at the first sign of, hey, where did God go? God was taking care of everything. And now all of a sudden, this is hard work. And just like the nation of Israel, we look and we go, Egypt was pretty nice. I think I want to go back there again. I want to read you a a portion out of this scripture. For the sake of time, we're going to look here at uh, Numbers 11, and we'll pick it up at verse 4. So we'll just skip ahead to verse 4. Essentially, um, they were complaining. They didn't like the food that they were getting. Think about this. Two million people wandering around in a desert. How do you feed them? How How do you get water to these people? Miraculously, God provides. Every morning, there's bread on the ground. And they pick it up and they make cakes. And and God continues to provide for them food, brings water out of a rock. The people are being sustained by God, literally. And they begin to complain. And it says this in verse 4. It says, now the rabble. I like that word, the rabble. The rabble that was among them had a strong craving. Guess what they wanted? They wanted better food. They wanted some meat. I love that word rabble because... To me, it indicates that there was a small group complaining, a small group. It's amazing how a small group of people complaining can begin to infiltrate and begin to affect a large group. You ever notice that? It doesn't tell us who they are. I love it because I I call them they. You know what I mean? Have you ever heard of they? I mean, I'll be talking to my wife, and and we'll be going out to dinner. And I'll be like, I'm wearing this. And she'll be like, you can't wear that. I'm like, why not? I'm paying customer. I'm going in the restaurant. I have my shirt on. I have my shoes on. What's the problem? She's like, oh, they won't like that. I'm like, who are they anyways? It's like, oh, they. They won't like that. And they is a dangerous word, even in a church, you know, because all it takes is one person. You know, one person could run over here and be like, hey, don't tell anybody this, but I'm really concerned. I don't like the pastor's preaching. Not happy with it. And the same person runs over to this person over here, and they're like, hey, I'm really not happy with that Alex Wolf guy. He thinks he's that in a Big Mac leading worship. And, you know, I just think he's full of pride. And they run over, oh, but don't tell anybody. And the only reason why I'm telling you is so you can pray for them. And then they run over here and they talk to the next person. They're like, hey, you know, I'm really not happy with the way they use videos in church. And they run over here, and the music's too loud. And they're complaining. And then all these people come to me as the leader and they're all like, you should hear what people are saying. They don't like you. They don't like Alex. They don't like the music. They don't like the videos. They don't like the lights. They don't like anything. And I'm like, wow, half the church is about to leave. They are not happy. And they is one person. Right? It's amazing how one little group can just stir up and fester a whole bunch of problems. So if someone gives me a criticism, somebody writes down something they're not happy with, I read it, I take it to heart. We try to change things when it's necessary. But if somebody writes me a criticism and there's no name on it, I don't even read it. I just throw it away. Because that's just a criticism from they. And I want to hear a criticism from you. No, I don't really, but if you have to, you know, bring it on. So... The rabble, they're complaining. And it says this, it says, And the people of Israel also wept again and said. So they, they kind of joined in with this rabble and began to complain. And this isn't the first time this happened. If you read the Exodus story, every time there's trouble, they just start complaining, they start whining, and they always turn and look back to where they came from. And this is what they say, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Verse 5, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. Oh, if we could just have some fish. 
It costs nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Mm. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. I call this the good old days syndrome. Good old days. You look back and you're like, oh, for the good old days of Egypt. What's amazing to me is that when we look back at the good old days, we only remember the good things. Anybody ever notice this? Is it just me? You look back and you're like, oh, it was so great back then. And these people, literally, when they were in Egypt, they were being whipped, tortured, they were being worked to the bone, and their kids were being murdered. But they want to go back there so they can have a fish kebab with onions and garlic. Think about it. Is that just ridiculous? I want some fish and some garlic and some onions. Who cares if they're going to kill my kids? I'm hungry. Hello? The good old days. But that's true. I hear people, they're like, oh, man, 2011, it's a a terrible time to be living in. Oh, for the good old days. I mean, today you have to worry about terrorists flying a plane into a building. What kind of world are we living in? Oh, for the good old days. I remember the 1960s. Those were the good old days. And I'm thinking to myself, wasn't there like a Cold War going on? Like, weren't people like building bomb shelters under their garage? Kids were being instructed how to get under the desk in case a bomb went off. I think I'd rather have a plane hit a building than a nuclear bomb hit Peterborough. The good old days. We always remember them the way we want to. And, and even as a parent, you have, we have kids now, and, and there are times when my wife and I, we look at each other and we're like, what in the world were we thinking? And, and we look back and we're like, oh, for the good old days, do you remember when it was just the two of us? We did whatever we wanted. If you don't have kids yet, enjoy the time you have. It's a good time. But the good old days, we'd look back and we're like, oh, they were so amazing. We could just do whatever we wanted. But then when I think about it, I'm like, we were bored half the time. We'd drive around the city, we'd go to the mall, and then we'd go to Wendy's. And it was like, oh, what do you want? I don't know what to do. And we'd just show up at somebody's house. I'm, I apologize if some of you are here. we just knock at the door and be like, hey, what's going on? And then we just stayed till midnight, and then we'd leave, and they're like this. You know, their kids are all like strewn all over the couch. And we'd leave, and like, that was fun. But it wasn't all that great. We were bored half the time. And, of course, now we're in this moment of our life where we have four young children, okay, which is busy. And at this point in time, we're going, oh, for the good old days, we're looking back there. We'll be walking through the mall. Got to love this. You're walking through the mall. One kid wants to go pee. One kid wants a drink. One kid wants a Care Bear. And you're just like, what in the world is going on? And, And oftentimes I'm sitting there going, God, you said you were coming back to take us out of here. Now would be a wonderful time. <laughs> Dad, what are you doing? I, I'm just practicing, you know. God, this is a great time to take. And then you have this sweethearted woman that'll just walk up to you in the mall, you know? She'll walk up, maybe in her 40s, she'll walk up and she'll be like, oh, look at this family. They're so cute. Oh, I'm telling you, this is the best time of your life. And I'm like, oh, great. There's no hope. There's no hope. This is the best time. Oh, it's the best time of your life. I remember when little Johnny brought a beehive in the house and we all had to go to the hospital. Oh, it's just so sweet. I'm thinking... Yeah, when you were back there, you wanted out, but now it's the best time of your life, right? You're looking at this, the good old days, the good old days. And then they, and then, and then they turn and they're like, just enjoy them while they're young, because soon they're going to look like them, and they point at their teenagers and they're just like scowling, right? And you're like, great, that's what I have to look forward to, right? And, and then their parents were teenagers, 
And their teenagers are arguing with them and taking the car and they don't show up when they're supposed to and you're fighting with them and the dress is too short and all this stuff is going on and you're going, oh, for the good old days. Remember when they were four and the only thing we had to worry about was whether they went on the toilet or not, right? And you're looking at this and you're going, the good old days. And, and, then, and then the kids move out and you have these two people staring at each other going, who are you? <laughs> you know, and the guy's going, you look a lot like that woman that drove my kids around for 20 years. Want to play bingo. And it's this whole new experience. And then they're looking, they're going, oh, we just wish our teenagers would come back and fight with us once in a while. Right? Is this not true? Is this not the way that we do life? Constantly looking back going, wow, it was better back there. And it's the same thing in our Christian life. As we go forward in our Christian life, it's like, you know, God saves us. You're new to church. You're new to the Bible. Every time you open it, it's like, wow, something new is just jumping off the page. And God's blessing you. And he's keeping you from trouble. And everything's great. And then... Halfway through this experience, five years down the road, you're like, hey, this is starting to be hard work. I don't get it. Where's God? He, he used to be everywhere, and now it feels like he's, he's nowhere to be found. God's just teaching you to trust him, just like the nation of Israel. But here's the thing. When things get difficult, the first sign of God being out of the picture, and it's like, God, where are you? Things aren't going well. I thought they were going to go well. At the first sign, our natural inclination is to turn and go, that was pretty good back there. No, it wasn't. I hear people, you know, they get saved, God does a work in their life, and then they, they're sitting around, they're like, ah, you remember the good old days? You remember that time we all got drunk, and we, we took paint rollers, and we rolled everybody, and it was just hilarious. And they remember all the fun they had while they were drinking, but they forget waking up, hugging the public toilet, you know? They, that, just, that part of the, the whole thing just disappears from their memory, miraculously. God doesn't want us to go back. He wants us to go forward. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be like Him And in order for that to happen, we are going to have to change. And the problem is, we don't like to change. The problem is, there are things in our lives, there are thoughts that we have, there are places we go, there are things we think about that God doesn't want us to. And it's going to take work, and it's going to take discipline. If we're going to become the people that God has called us to be, we're going to have to change. Individually and as a church. Isn't that something, eh? As I thought about that message. Ah, Thank you. During the first service, my wife was sitting beside me, and she's like, you had so much energy back then. I was like, yeah, thank you. After service, after service some, sweer, uh, some sweet lady came up to me, and she's like, you know, she's like, I think you're more handsome now. And I'm like, that was a really blurry video. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to close the service by just sharing with you some practical steps. Because here's the thing, both individually and as a church... I think it's, it's true. We want to continue to move forward. We want to change and adapt and continue to gr- move forward and continue to grow both, again, individually and corporately as a church. And so I wanted to share with you just quickly three, three keys, okay? Three keys to never going back, all right? And this is significant. We find these three keys in the story of the Exodus and in their um, inheritance of the promised land, and I think these we'll also find are significant in our own lives. Here's the first one. Remember where you've been. Remember where, I think we need to take time every now and again to stop. Again, this week we were looking in our treasure boxes and we were looking back at some of the the places we had been, both individually and as a family, remembering that. For the nation of Israel, they eventually did inherit the promised land. Eventually they had yards for their kids to play in and crops that they could harvest and eat. And when they were in the land, God had given them a command that they should take a Sabbath day each week. That they would take a day to rest. See, rest is not something a slave does. It's something a free person does. 
And so they would be, God would say, you rest one day a week, and they would rest on that day, and part of their Sabbath traditions would be to remember the slavery in Egypt, to remember how bad it was back there, how good it is here, and how God has led us from there to here. That is a significant piece, to remember where you've been. Because here's what happens. In my life, I get discouraged sometimes when instead of looking at where I was and where God is taking me, I begin looking at other people, being like, well, they got it together. I wish I was where they are. I wish I had what they had. Wish I was spiritual like that person. You begin to look at them instead of looking back and saying, look at how far God has brought me. It's like this. If you were trying to get your body in shape, build some muscle, you go to the gym. Really good idea. Take some pictures of yourself before you start. Take some measurements. Check your weight. And after a year of hard work and dieting, you can look back at the original photo and look at your body you know, a year later and go, wow, I made some progress. You will be discouraged if you're looking at the muscle heads in the gym. You know, the guys with the 12-pack, you know, and the spray-on tan, and you're looking at them going, oh, I, didn't, I didn't accomplish anything, but we need to look back and remember how far we've come. And, and I don't know where each of you is at in your journey of faith. I don't know where you're at in your development, in your discipleship, but here's what I know. If you'll look back and say, look at what God has done in my life. Look at where I was, and hopefully you're in a better place now, And as you look back, you will see the hand of God guiding you. So remembering where you've been is a significant piece of never going back. Here's the second thing. Remember where you're going. You have to to remember where God is taking you. Otherwise, you'll become discouraged. Uh, If someone came up to me after service and said, hey, Nathan, want to go get some ice cream? Of course I'm going to say, yes, I love ice cream. But if they then proceeded to tell me that the ice cream was a 24-hour drive away, I'd probably pass. Like, you know what? That's fine. I'll pass on the ice cream because a 24-hour drive to get ice cream is not worth it. Amen? Yeah, I was weak, but you know what I mean. Some of you would do it, and that's a problem. We need to talk about that, okay? But if somebody came up to me and said, I've got this condo on the beach in Florida with a beautiful ocean view, and, and, and we're going to go down there, we're going to hang out and rest for two weeks. Are you willing to come with me? It's a 24-hour drive. You know what the answer is? absolutely why because the destination is worth the cost of the journey and here's the thing as as we seek to follow Jesus as we seek to grow as individuals and as a church it's easy for us to look and go the change is too hard what we have to do next is too difficult but when we see the goal when we see what is at stake all of a sudden it's now worth it when you see what Jesus is trying to form you into when you see the end goal then you go you know what I'm willing to change my behavior you know what? I'm willing to be generous because God is doing something that is so worthwhile. And so seeing where you're going is significant. Otherwise, when it gets hard, you'll quit. So remember where you've been. Remember where you're going. And here's the third one. This is so important. Remember who is with you. Jesus promised that he would never leave us and never forsake us. The one thing I can guarantee, there are a lot of promises in the Bible that that we could argue about, say, is that really a promise? But here's one promise I know for sure that he said he would never leave or forsake us, that his presence is with us, whether we see it or not. And while the nation of Israel traveled through the the wilderness, there was a cloud by day, there was fire by night. It was very clear and evident that God was with them, but eventually the cloud disappeared, and eventually the fire disappeared. And they're, they're storming around the promised land with their swords and shields, and they're doing battle going, is God still with us? And this is the progression of growth. 
When I, when I was first um, really experiencing God in an amazing way in Bible college, it seemed like God was speaking to me every day. And it seemed like I ran into people and it was like God moments. And it just seemed like I could see God's hand just steering my life. It was this amazing season. And then a decade later, I'm going, where are you? And he hasn't gone anywhere. But now, like the nation of Israel, as they moved in, they had to begin to look at the law that God had given Moses. They had to look back on the previous faithfulness and remember what God had done so they would know where he was leading them. And so as we mature in our faith and as we grow, we have to begin to be moved by faith and not just by sight. And so we have to remember who is with us, that God is with us. We have to learn to move forward in faith. And so three keys to never going back. Number one, remember where you've been. Number two, remember where you're going. Number three, remember who is with you. I guess here's the conclusion. Don't go back. As great as the past may be, you can never go back. As great as the 80s were, you can't go back. It's fun to remember, but you cannot go back. You see, the thing is, is that we can learn from the past. We can look to the future, but we live in this present moment. And so one of the things that my wife and I have been learning, it's funny, as we watch the video, we had four young kids, and I'd walk through the mall, and it was crazy. Watching that video reminded me, and now my wife and I are those, those people in their 40s that stop and be like, oh, this is so cute, look at your kids screaming. And we have the teenagers, although it's not as bad as it was once predicted, which is great. But we've got to change. We've got to continue to move forward. We can't go back. Individually, we must keep moving forward to what God has for us. As a church, we have to continue to look to the future and say, what does God have next? And not be afraid to move and to step out in faith. And so uh, today, just a quick um, personal challenge for you before I close is simply this. Do you regularly take time to remember where God has taken you from? Do you ever stop and look back and go, wow, God's really been doing something in my life lately. And I can see that a year ago, I didn't have the kind of patience I have now. A year ago, I didn't pray like I do now, and God is developing and shaping me, and I can see the progress when I look back and celebrate that. Can you see where he's leading you? Do you have a sense that God is taking you somewhere? Because if you can see that, it will encourage you to keep taking steps forward. And are you confident that he's with you, even when you can't see him, feel him, or hear him? That's where faith becomes super real, isn't it? When, when you can't see him, you can't hear him, but you know he's with you, and you can take steps of faith forward. So as a church, it's really fun to remember where we've been. And through the years, our church has continued to change. That's really been the one consistent thing about this community is we're always changing. And I love that and I don't want to lose that. We're willing to do whatever it takes to reach more people. As I said at the beginning, there were 70 people and we opened up this whole room and we we're like, oh my goodness, will anybody ever come? And people kept coming and our community continued to expand. And it was because we were always willing to do whatever was necessary to reach more, to make space and and so we're entering into a season of that, and we're talking about that and trying to figure that out, but we can't go back. We move forward. And so uh, that's my hope for you, both individually, for us as a church. I think that the biggest, the biggest enemy of our future success is actually our current success. Most people get stuck somewhere. Some of you in this room are still listening to Led Zeppelin and wearing tight jeans. And I love it. But we can't stay there. We got to move forward. We got to move forward. And sometimes, again, and you see this in churches, churches, they grow, they get to a certain point and everyone goes, this is the best. And they stop. They stop innovating. They stop changing. They stop reaching out and they go, We've, we have enough. We've reached enough kids. We've seen enough people come to faith. We're okay here. That is not what I want for us. 
And so we'll continue to change and do what is necessary, taking steps of faith forward as a community. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.